Hello and welcome to Mint Dialogue, episode number 118. This interview is with Kevin Ryan, who graciously accorded me a second podcast. Kevin, for those of you who don't know him, is a serial and highly successful entrepreneur. He's the founder and chairman of Guilt, the flat luxury flash sale online site with over 9 million members, as well as the founder of Business Insider and co-founder of MongoDB. Previously, Kevin was CEO of DoubleClick, which was sold under his stewardship in 2005 for $1.1 billion. In this conversation, focusing largely on guilt, we discuss issues of digital transformation and leadership in the digital age. Among other topics, we discuss the reality of test and learn, getting leadership buy-in, and driving change. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minterdial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. So, Kevin, um, would you tell us uh, your position, what you're, what you're up to as a general idea, but what's your title, what are you, what are you doing? So, I'm um, Kevin Ryan, I'm an internet entrepreneur. I have four different businesses that I've started in the last six years, and so I'm chairman and founder of each one of them. Combined, I have 1,800 employees. All of them are headquartered in New York, uh, and it's been uh, really exciting. So, um, talking about Gilp, since you are a pure player, at Gilt, what digital dashboards do you read regularly and why? And what are the key indicators for you for success? So the key indicators of success for us uh, are in a retail business are daily sales. And our daily sales are more important than in a normal store because our content changes and product offering changes every single day. So each 24-hour period is a sale period. So we have 40 different brands that are on the sale that, on sale that day and then the next day are off. Uh, so we're looking at margin, we're looking at sell-through, we're looking at the product, and then there's behind the scenes percentage of goods that got shipped out that day. So there's execution on that side. Percentage of returns from previous sales. Uh, that are also very important, and then customer support indicators as well. Uh, so those are all important. Kevin, when you look at that, at the spreadsheet that comes in uh, after net sales, where do you think the 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 key there's the, if there's one big data that you're looking at that really is going to drive the success going forward, which one would you pull out? Uh, sell through. Sell through. Because it's almost more important for us to uh, you know have a thousand shirts but sell uh, you know 950 of them than it is if we bought 1500 and sold 1200 sell through is very important because that avoids getting stuck with inventory in terms of, of talent and recruitment how have your processes had to change and adjust since guilt has begun well the uh, processes change a little bit just because the volume is up more. So we have to hire hundreds and hundreds of people each year. Um, we focus a lot on retention. So that's a metric that I look at all the time, split between uh, voluntary and involuntary. And I look at it by department. It's one of the things we review at every compensation committee meeting because I want to see early warning signs that something's wrong uh, in one area. And by wrong, I mean that they're not happy with the manager. The second thing I look at, which is part of that, are the employee satisfaction scores. We do that every six months. And I want to know, in marketing, how they're feeling 
versus other departments and how they're feeling versus the study six months ago. Uh, because And that's a key indicator. It's not enough for a uh, manager to have good results in their area. I know that if their employees aren't happy, it's only a matter of time before we'll have bad results because people will leave. Sweet. And looking at the customer, because we all live and die by that, how important is being customer-centric in your digital strategy at Gilt? So uh, being customer-centric is extremely important at Gilt, more so than other companies. If you have a company that relies on advertising, then uh, people can, you can actually be successful if you bring someone in, they buy, they're somewhat happy, but you made a lot of money. In our business in the first two years, we spent no money on advertising. Every customer came to us because another customer invited them. So customers actually had to have multipliers on them, and we had to factor that in uh, over time. So we could spend more on making them happy uh, because they brought every, everyone else in. When you, want, when you say you want to become customer-centric, uh, so we all say that it's important in our business, but how do you get that to happen and be embedded fully as a perspective within the organization at Gilt? One of the things I did five years ago is I required every single employee in the company, at the time there was about 800, to go through two days of customer service, customer support training. So they actually had to go through the training from the executives all the way down, and they had to get on the phones with a customer support person and handle phone calls. And it was an extraordinary experience because all of a sudden engineers realized why that little feature uh, isn't as clear as they thought it was, uh, especially when they were talking to a 63-year-old woman uh, who's not very uh, internet-oriented and she didn't understand. Or those customers, or those policies when, when we were describing the dress, it wasn't clear enough because someone had to call up and say, I don't really understand what that means. Uh, so it had great reverberations and made people feel the pain that our customers sometimes feel if we do something wrong. I love that. All right, so uh, if we talk about Gilt's brand value, as Gilt's values, because you, you have a lot of brands underneath that, but how do you determine and articulate your brand values to connect with a digital customer? So, you know, your brand value, let's not forget, is established not really much by what you say, but by what you do. And so that brand value is very much about having a consistent product offering. And one of the things that uh, people have remarked in the past is they thought Gilt had a strong brand. And in our first two and a half years, we never spent one hour writing down what Gilt was. And it's not that that's a bad idea, but I think that actually uh, doesn't drive what it is. Uh, you've got to make sure that people understand and you talk about the value proposition. And on Gilt, it's very clear. We need to have very high-quality luxury brands at very reasonable prices, and we need to have high-quality service that goes with that. And so even, even last week, something came to me in a package from Gilt, and I sent it out to everyone. I said, you know what? This is not Gilt. And everyone understood what I meant. And they said, you're right. Sweet. One of the things that we are constantly faced with and challenged is getting leadership buy-in. Of course, you are the leader. Mm -hmm. um, one of the... What are the kinds of arguments, the key arguments, that would 
get more leadership buy-in with regard to your vision, your strategy. And of course, I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking behind this, of course, about you know, being in an industry where digital is only a portion of my business. But what are the kinds of the key arguments that help get leadership buy-in in digital? I think the arguments that get people uh, bought into the strategy are partially from data. So the more data you have, sometimes the better, easier it is to make your point. But then those are the easy ones. The hard ones are where it's not clear on the data. Or you want to do something that the numbers would suggest is not right, but you have a gut feel as part of your brand. So maybe you don't want to discount as much, or you don't want to, for in our case, we want to turn down and not sell a brand that would make us a lot of money. Um, and those decisions, unfortunately, have to be made at the top, uh, because only that group generally has the confidence to turn down revenues and profits to protect the brand. Uh, and that just has to be um, you know, consistent with what we've done in the past, uh, but at the end, it's a judgment call. You know, management is not just by numbers. You're running a digital-only company. I mean, of course, you have your magazine, and, but you're a digital-only company. How, when, and why does an executive committee and, the, and the, the leadership team become digitally fluent? How important do you think it is for the executive team to actually be digitally fluent? Well, in our case, it's not a problem because almost everyone has been working full-time in the digital space even before they came to Gilt. Hardly anyone uh, came from an offline uh, business. But in, a, in an offline business where digital is only a part of what you do, you know, you really do need to emphasize it and force it. So, you know, people need to be uh, making purchases from your company personally online. And they need to be doing it on their phone. And you need to make sure that people are forcing it, that communication. So, you know, I change browsers every couple of months to make sure I'm using everything because my clients use different browsers. I change phones every couple of months because I need to make sure I'm familiar with Android and Apple. Uh, so I want to push that through everyone. The first day the iPad came out, I bought iPads for every one of the senior managers because I said, this is important. You need to use this product um, because our customers are going to be using it. So that has to be driven from the top uh, and you have to push it. And it can't be that I just don't do that. You have to do what your customers are doing. Sweet. Uh, talking about governance, um, and, and by, by governance, I'm, I'm typically thinking about the decision-making processes, uh, what kinds of policies you have to put in place. Uh, who are the necessary parties that need to be involved in forming effective governance? I'm not sure I have a good answer for that, actually. That's because, because it's, you think about it, I mean, it, look, the senior team has to be there, but I'm not sure we don't have any other parties at the table. At a certain level, there are board decisions. There are certain things are management decisions. That's the vast majority. And then you have to decide what gets decided at a senior level, what can get pushed down. All right, let me, let me go for one smaller portion and maybe to tackle it that way, which is um, crisis management. Mm -hmm putting in place a governance around crisis management. What, who needs to be at that table in order to establish an appropriate policy, for, like for social media escalation and all that? Well, you know, I think that the, the, 
on, on crisis in social media as an example. Uh, one, you need to make sure that you're really defining what truly is a crisis or not, because you know there's going to be criticism on somewhere on social media, you know, all the time. That's not a crisis, and you can't spend all your time doing that. I think the key thing that I hope every brand is doing, we've been doing it for many, many years, is just making sure that someone is monitoring uh, social media all the time. The key is preventing the crisis. When someone goes online and says, you know, I really uh, am unhappy with my guilt experience, and they mention it on, on uh, Twitter, a customer support person needs to almost instantly reach out to that person and say, you know what, I'm sorry you had a bad experience. Can we connect offline so I can hear more about it? And then, because I don't want that to start flaming out. And so then they talk to that person. Maybe we say, you know, that's terrible. It's our fault. We give them a credit. And if we're lucky, we can turn that into, you know what, that's amazing. I didn't even reach out directly to guilt, but they came to me, recognized there was a mistake, gave me a $50 credit. Uh, what a great company. And that's what you really want. Now, once in a while, you know, things do go wrong. Uh, and then it's going to have to elevate very quickly to senior management because there's going to be some judgment calls on the brand side and the CEO and the chief marketing officer are going to have to be involved. Things are constantly changing and the speed at which we're having to operate are, is changing also very quickly. And I'm just thinking, so since the beginning of Guilt to now, what kinds of lessons do you feel you've learned about the need to escalate quickly, uh, get get the team to act fast, or and to to put a tamper on stuff because hey that's just a criticism no big deal. Well, I do think what's extraordinary just you know Guilt's a, a young company. It's uh, not even we haven't even had our seventh anniversary yet, and yet when we started you know uh, the iPhone you know basically didn't exist. Twitter didn't exist. Uh, so all these things have been introduced in a very short period of time and are an enormous part of the landscape. You know, the mere fact that over 50% of our uh, purchases and, and transactions and pages are occurring on mobile, and six years ago that was zero. I mean, how often does 50% of your business change platforms in a couple years? And so uh, we've been luckily very responsive. Uh, feel good about that. But I think it's harder uh, when you're offline because offline world didn't change as fast as this, and now they're having to move quicker than they have in the past. I'm going to just uh, the next one was to what extent has corporate culture been integrated into the governance? Do you have anything about that? No. All right. So test and learn. Uh, this is one of those beautiful things that consultants tell you how to do. Yeah. Uh, at Gilt, there are several verticals. You know, so there are. All notwithstanding a, a desire to break down silos, there are things that make naturally silos. And I think of your men's line, jet setters, and all the different categories you have within guilt. Maybe it's by brand and how you structure. But how do you manage to share best practices so that they don't feel like they're eating each other and, and battling with each other? Well, you know, we're not that large a company. We have 1,200 employees. So at corporate headquarters, uh, people are all uh, on one floor from those different uh, business units. So we don't have a big challenge with that. I think it's more test and learn for me is not so much about the big, big business units as it is about the continual testing and learning at volume. So this week we probably have 30 separate tests occurring on the site. 
no one knows about them, but they don't realize that you're getting different pricing than I am. You're seeing a different uh, brand than I am. Uh, and so that's happening over and over. So, you know, the answer on your website to almost every single question as to why you did that should start with, good question, we tested it, and here were the results. That's why we did this. I think there's still a lot of companies in the offline world that aren't testing to that degree, uh, haven't incorporated it in, which is a real technology investment, uh, and aren't testing micro decisions. Hmm. I, I just had a, a long chat with the founder of a, a mobile app uh, service really cool out of Israel, and he said exactly the same thing. Hmm. This notion of it's, it's just a lot of little details pulled together. And there's no big secret sauce. It's just hard work. Get down in the trenches. Um, all right, so in traditional businesses, big, big bosses, they, they uh, get paid and get promoted for being right all the time. So what pressure do you think test and learn, the test and learn approach places on senior people? Well, I think the test and learn puts less pressure on uh, senior. It actually helps them a lot because you don't have to make as many big bets. You're making a series of hundreds of little bets, and you just have more data. So you can actually try five different price points in one day and see what the results are. In the offline world, you couldn't do that very easily, and now you can. So I hope that offline companies are using their website to test things that then they can roll out in their stores uh, later on. Uh, it's like the biggest, best, most effective, fast focus group in the world. That's a beautiful bite. All right, so in this fast-moving world that we're in, um, it's very easy to jump on new social media, to create new initiatives, to do a pop-up, to do a new, a new uh, mini-site. Uh, so you can do lots of things. One of the things that we, were, what we wanted to do in this uh, program is to bring to light the idea of also stopping things. Mm -hmm. So how do you manage at Guilt a planned exit from projects and initiatives Maybe you can talk us through uh, something you've done. Yeah, I think um, I think that's hard because you have to make sure, first of all, that you have the discipline to change things that were working pretty well two years ago and just don't work as well today, or were working two months ago and don't work well today. The harder challenge for me is more public business units. We had, we've had a lot of businesses that worked, and we tried things like Guilt Taste, which was a food business, and um, I could see after three months it wasn't working. We gave it another three or four months and closed it down. You get bad press. People think you made a big mistake. But ultimately, it really wasn't that expensive. And it always feels like ripping off that Band-Aid. It's terrible right now. But four months later, don't even remember. Uh, so you have to remind people that that's the case. Uh, and be, but it's all that one's just about discipline. Because on the one hand, you don't want to abandon something that you know, a business that just takes a little bit of time to develop. On the other hand, you don't want to be doing some business for five years where everyone says, oh, I always knew that wasn't going to work. So there's no formula for having the right answer there. Kevin, um, I, I'm now I'm going to ask two, two last questions. One is you're in front of a bunch of senior executives. What kind of, uh, I would say, advice can you give to, if you're, if, for them, to get more involved in digital and um, you know, what open field question? Where you know, if if I, if I were uh, to be in a luxury brand, this is what I would recommend you get reading more of, doing more of. 
So, yeah, if I were a luxury brand, I think the key thing from this top down is that uh, you need to be thinking about what the business is going to look like five years from now because you're taking those steps now. That means that it doesn't matter if only 3% of your revenues are on digital today. Uh, if you think it's going to be 10% uh, five years from now, then you need to be spending you know, 10 to 20% of your time on that because that's where your growth is coming from. So in many ways, you've got to think, is my time being allocated relative to the growth that's occurring? And often people are still underinvesting time, uh, underinvesting focus, uh, because it's still a small part of their business. But newspapers did that for a long time. The music industry did that for a long time. And they said, well, we're still protected. And now today, the average newspaper, certainly in the United States, has lost 80% of their value. They've been wiped out. They still exist, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, but literally have lost 80%. No business wants to go through that, and there are other companies out there that are at risk uh, of that happening. Um, last question. In your uh, experience, if you had to do it all over again, like you had a magic wand, uh, what would you would like to have adjusted in your approach or done quicker, faster? Well, the reality is that everything that uh, you look back on over the last 10 years in digital, uh, you should have done more of it. We should have done more of it and faster. Because in, in my business, it's as if you're out there surfing in the ocean and there's an enormous wave behind you. And so the best you can do is take advantage of that wave because it's helping you all along. And you know, if prices are going to go up, you want to have more of it. So hiring more, building more, moving faster has all paid off. And these are fundamental trends that are not going away. There are going to be fewer stores, fewer square feet of uh, retail space in the world 10 years from now than there are today. And that is a reality, and every brand needs to adjust to that. And they need to sell more online. It won't be 100% of their business at all. It'll be a very, very important part, and it will actually influence almost every single purchase. You can't survive as a brand today if your presence and your reputation online is terrible. So you have to safeguard that. Uh, and it used to be that you could control your image through advertising. Today, that doesn't work anymore. It's helpful, but it can be overcome if everyone online says you have a terrible brand. Spectacular. Kevin, you have, I have this, you have this talent of giving great bites in this. <laughs>
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year hard rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.